Welcome to Ontario Outdoor Pursuit, your total Ontario hunting podcast. What's up everyone, Ontario Outdoor Pursuit here, bringing you episode number four, kind of back to back to number three. We just dropped, but we had a pretty eventful day today and come up with a few more topics that we just, we wanted to discuss. We've been chatting all day about it. So started off today, we went out to Antler River Archery, which is in Delaware in Ontario. Shot a bunch of bows, did some five-spot archery this morning. Yeah, that was good. Marcello lost. Um, <laughs> I definitely won all four rounds. Cameron beat me on the X count. <laughs> um, and then after that, we did a little shopping, of course. Of course. Um, and we took a protein block out that I had mentioned, I think, last yep, podcast. Yeah, you mentioned it last one. And we set that out in the bush as well as a couple trail cameras, so... That was quite a hike, a little over two feet of snow walking through the field. Yeah, and then it's nice. We saw a bunch of deer activity while we were out there, lots of trails. Yep. No new scrapes, though, but it makes sense for the time of year. Yep, and hopefully with this protein block, that'll attract some more deer, yeah. keep some more deer around, and with any luck, I'll have some more sheds at that block. Yeah, so we put two trail cameras up, like you said, and then we did one in video and one in photo. Yeah. Which is, I like the video mode because I like when deer walk in, you can see where they're coming from, what they're doing when they're there, yeah. and where they're going. Yeah. I think the one you put by your stand, you did camera, like a photo mode. Yeah. Which is probably better because realistically... Yeah, not... we'll just snap whatever's coming by. Yeah, you're not going to be hunting there for... You might do it for turkey maybe, but... So we've been going back and forth all day about just ideas that kept coming to mind. And basically, we want to kind of start out with some long hunts while we're out hunting. Yeah, because we have buddies that message us all the time and be like, how do you guys sit in a tree for 10 plus hours? Yeah. You know, in the early season, it's a little easier. But when it's cold and below, I think negative 15 is where it starts to get really cold. And you start to really Yeah, they're it. a tough sit. Yeah, they're a tough sit. So we're going to talk about what we do, our tips, our mental aspect of it. And bringing food and coffee out into the stand. Who brings food out and who does not? I would like people to message us and say who does and who doesn't. What's your thoughts on it? Because I'm against it until this year. Shot my buck drinking coffee. <laughs> I think it doesn't. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but you always even pack yeah. Nutri-Grains and everything. Oh, yeah. I like a good protein bar when I'm out there. So I think the first thing is, and the most important thing is your mental aspect. I think you need to push past it's cold and you need to sit out there. Yeah. Um, especially during rut time, those long days are where you're going to see a lot of deer and a lot of bucks specifically. Yeah. So in my head, when I'm out there, I just think of the longer I sit, the more deer I'm going to see. Mm -hmm. And so you just got to push past the cold, obviously dress for it's really important. Um, what runs through your head when you're out there on long sets? I think you pretty well nailed that one. Uh, my gear is super important to me. Yeah. And I make sure I always have the right stuff to sit there for that kind of yeah. duration. Definitely layer up in the cold. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to be sweating once you get out to make it to your stand because that's going to be cold by the time you're just sitting there and that essentially dries up, but you are going to be cold. Yeah. So my gear and mentally, you got to prepare yourself for it. You know what the end goal is. You're trying to get a deer. Um, a turkey some mornings are cold. doesn't matter if you're out moose hunting. You do have to prepare that way. If you're not willing to put in that time and tough out whatever the weather's going to throw at you, then you might as well pack it up and head on home. Yeah. You don't do, like, I know some runners do, like, a stage thing where if you're running and you see a tree, like, you know, 200 yards away, it's like, I can make it to that tree. Or, like, time increments, you know, I can make it to five minutes. And then once you push past five minutes, oh, I can make it to the next five minutes. Yeah. Do you ever do that when you're hunting? Like, oh, you know, I've been out here for four hours. I can push past another hour. Not really. It's always just my angle. I yeah. know it's there, and That's I the just I make sure I achieve it. If I don't, I definitely let myself down. 
Yeah, no, I think it's I think mental is probably the biggest thing out there. Yeah. Obviously gear is really important, layering up, moisture wicking stuff's really good and really important in the cold season. It's funny how many people actually don't do these long sits. No, and you, it's so important once you some guys gear, just, once you get to the rut. Yeah, some guys just do the morning. Yeah. And then maybe pack it in and do an evening hunt. Yeah. Because everyone knows the dead zone, usually around like 10, 11 a.m. But also a very active time. And it how is many deer did you see this year through the 10, 11, and noon range? Oh, yeah. You see deer moving all the time. But the thing is, though, sometimes people just think it's not a good time to hunt. Yeah. But anything close to the hunt, to the rut, sorry, just get out there as long as you can. Yeah. On those long hunts, do you bring food? I haven't brought food. Like on a 12-hour sit, you're not going to bring anything? I probably would. I would yeah. pack some sort of... Uh, Maybe be like some honey roasted peanuts, something small, light. Yep. Um, I've been having the Cliff Bars a lot. Yep. Yeah. And so I start to bring so. those. Yeah. And they're kind of nice just to kind of tie you over. Yeah. I probably will bring coffee out on colder days still. Yeah, it's great. And yeah, it's it's a nice warm feeling. Oh, yeah. I've done... You bring a thermos I've out. brought chili. I've brought chicken noodle soup out on those 12-hour sets. I like, brought... You're going to come out with a fast food bag next time <laughs> yeah just make oh maybe i'll get to mcdonald's to deliver it to me or something yeah but yeah i i don't know i think scent's really important but i also think it's important to stay healthy and stay active yeah. out there yeah so hot soup does it for me out there hot coffee really important but yeah i always bring like a like a granola bar or something don't forget to message into us because i want to hear who, yeah i want to hear who disagrees with marcello not only that and I i'm wanna... not bringing soup out to my stand <laughs> but i also want to hear if you guys do bring up food, what you guys bring up. Yeah. So what's your go-to snack when you're hunting? So I guess we're going to cover some mechanical and fixed-blade broadheads. Yeah. Cam and I both shoot expandables, both shoot rages. You shoot a two-blade where I shoot a three-blade. Yeah. Uh, but... I shoot the two-blade hypodermics. Yeah. And that is that cut on or is that like a chisel tip? That is the chisel tip. Okay. I tried the cut on as my first and I moved to the chisel tip this year. Okay. See, that's the opposite of me. I had fixed blade muzzies with the trocar tip yeah which is like a chisel tip kind of thing yeah and then i switched to rages with a cut on blade and i really like them so why the switch arrow flight mainly because during bow season i'm not checking the tuning of my bow as much as during the target mm -hmm. and so if something's out of tune it's really going to show on a fixed blade i mean it's not like it's not going to show on a, a expandable but i yeah. like how the expandables fly they're really accurate so when you had the fixed blade did you ever do any like just practice shooting with that like usually everyone's got a field tip in while they're yeah. just you know sighting in bows and such yeah, absolutely so did you shoot with a fixed blade mm -hmm. and have you shot with the expandables and what do you like better so yeah i definitely shoot I, i'm definitely a firm believer in practicing what you're about to hunt with mm -hmm. so even if it's just like you like wearing gloves while you're hunting you should probably try practicing shooting archery with gloves on yeah but when it comes to broadheads i definitely think you should tune your broadheads to your bow and you shouldn't just focus on your fill tips yeah so the muzzy i was using an actual muzzy with a target that takes broadheads mm -hmm. with the rages i it comes with a practice blade yeah so i was using those and i find why the switch is i find that the rages are a lot more accurate i found they were a lot similar to the field yeah point. they're a lot closer to my field the points. transition from the fixed blade for the muzzies that i had was a big difference and I didn't like that switch. So once I knew I was on with my field points, throwing that muzzy on into the target, it was like, what am I doing wrong here? Yeah, it's definitely different. And price point, they're right around the same price point. Yeah, they're not far off. No, they're not far off. I used a four-blade muzzy. And... I was a three. Yeah, so the, I mean, I get more cutting. Yeah. And they're 
a really hard drive. I'm not trying to knock Muzzy by any means. They make a really good broadhead. I just made the switch to Expandables because they fly closer to my field points. Yeah. To be honest, they fly the exact same as my field points. I would agree. Yeah, and they're... And you can't beat a two and a half inch cut diameter on the new Rages. Yeah, no. And this year, I'm probably going to switch to the Hyperdermics. Yeah. I like the two blades... Your bear died almost instantly with that. Yeah, he didn't go far. That cut diameter on the other side, like the exit hole was large. Yeah, that stuff's awesome. Tons out there, like Spitfires. and. I, I think w- for turkey this year, I'd like to try the guillotine. Yeah, the big ones for yeah. the head lobbers. See what happens with one of those and see how they fly. Yeah, my buddy who used the crossbow used uh, bolt cutters, which comes on the Excaliburs. Okay. That thing shot right through the turkey through his chest bone into the ground. Really? Oh, yeah. Those broadheads, if you look at them, look very similar to the muzzies, even the tip design. Um, but yeah, super accurate stuff. Tack drivers, and he likes them. So that covers kind of the archery part of broadheads, fixed blade spectrum. Yeah. Um, We're now... definitely going to shoot some new stuff this year, though. Try it out. Oh, absolutely. Um, so if we want to jump into, for the gun users, talked a little bit today about sabots versus rifled slugs. Yeah, so my big thing is I like sabots more than rifled slugs because Why? rifle slugs you use in a smoothbore barrel where the actual bullet is rifled. Yep. So it gets a little bit of spin, but you use sabots in a rifled barrel and the bullet's encased and it's usually a plastic. And so as it shoots through the rifled barrel, it gets its spin, which makes it more accurate and has mm-hmm. better flight stability downrange. Yeah. I know Hornady makes it the SSTs. Those are great bullets. Yeah, um, I use the SSTs in my... Um... Muzzle loader. Yes. Yeah. I use the same at my muzzle loader. But I have buddies that shotgun hunt and use the SSTs in their rifle barrels for shotgun. Yep. And they love them. They're dead accurate. I think the weight on them is usually a little lighter than a rifled slug, mm-hmm. but way more accurate. Obviously, a rifled slug, you can hit something at 50 yards, no problem. But yep. when you start taking 100 yard shots, 150, 200 yards with a shotgun, I strongly suggest getting a rifle barrel. And that's a long shot. That's a pretty long shot for a shotgun. Yeah. Doing it with your 270 or your 30-06, 200 yards really isn't anything. Yeah. That's nothing. But to do it with the shotgun is a little different because it's such a bigger bullet flying down range. Yeah, it's a lot lot more weight. Yeah, but I mean, if anyone has really good luck with rifled slugs, I'd like to hear it. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think they're terrible. I just... Yeah, it's just a preference, really. Yeah, and most shotguns come with a smooth bore barrel. Mm -hmm. So sometimes they have those choke tubes. I don't know if you've ever seen them, but they're chokes that are rifled. I haven't seen those. Yeah, the whole barrel is smooth and then at the very end you get a little bit of twist i don't know if it's just a manufacturer trying to sell some stuff but it's kind of cool um last little bit of kick right yeah i don't know how well it works though yeah obviously the whole rifling system work a lot better because you're doing it for longer yeah so while we're on the topic of guns why don't we get into um i just thought scopes versus red dots okay i think it depends what you're doing right i myself prefer a nice scope i think so too for longer distances absolutely However, there's one circumstance where I'd take a red dot over scope. Turkey yeah. hunting. Yeah. I would not want a scope on my turkey gun. Frankly, I'd use open for turkey anyways. Pushes and stuff. If you're in dense bush pushing, consider a red dot or Yeah, I think sights. that'd be beneficial. And I know a couple of guys that are using yeah. red dots on theirs. But if you're in tree stands or you're pushing and it's an open bush, then you know go for scope. Maybe like a 3x9 or a 2x7. Yeah. Something lower. You don't really need that 12 power magnification or even that 9 power when you're in a bush. Yeah. For open sights on shotguns, waterfowl. Um turkey hunting like we said deer hunting not so much have you heard much on a red dot on a muzzle loader um i've never heard of anyone using one no no i mean that'd be interesting though yeah definitely i think it'd be cool with because you can buy like um shots so it's like black powder shoots the shotgun shell almost not the shell but it shoots the projectiles like a shotgun so i think that'd be cool a red dot on that system but for shooting slugs or a single projectile i don't i wouldn't recommend it Mm-hmm. I don't know. What's your opinion on that for the scopes? And I don't dots? know. As far as um, definitely, I don't really 
care for the red dots myself yep. and for my muzzle loader the type of shock the impact that that gun has that's why i went with the bushnell banner there's no vibration really going to the scope that's it's able to withstand that impact that that gun gives off so i don't really know how a red dot would hold up with that yep. so that would be a worry for me and because i really only hunt with my muzzle loader if i'm using a gun other than turkey yep. um i would stick with a scope myself Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, if you guys, I, there's a bunch of scope brands out there. I like Vortex. Cam likes Bushnell. Yeah. Nikon makes a really good hunting scope. They do, and um, I like Nikon cameras. The glass on Nikon yeah. is so crystal clear. Oh yeah, and that's how I feel about Vortex. What other brands are out there? Zeiss, Scorpion made made one. Swarovski makes a pretty. Swarovski heck makes of a really good, one. good Leo, scope. Leopold. Yeah. They make a really good scope too. You're definitely getting up there when you're looking into Leopold and Swarovski. Yeah, I well, I put the lower end Leopolds on the same as Vortex. Like, the lower-end Vortexes would go to, like, 300 bucks. Yeah, see, that's not bad. That's not bad. But, I mean, Vortex also has, like, the $2,000 yeah. scopes, same as Leopold. I would... Athlon Optics is actually making, doing some really well stuff with their scopes. And I you have, have their binoculars. binoculars. Yeah. yeah. And I love them. Yeah, they're really crystal clear. I use Bushnell for my binoculars, and they're really good, too. Yeah. What are your favorite deer calibers for rifles? Well, I haven't had the chance to hunt a, a deer hunt with a rifle yet, but... I don't know. I For myself, I would like um, probably the best bang for your buck, something that's going to do some good damage, a yeah. 270. Yeah, that's what my, my feeling is too. 270 is a great round because you're shooting distance with it. It's yeah. a flatter shooting round than a 30 6 or 308. It's going to be a heavier hit on that animal than, mm -hmm. say, something like a 243. Now, I think you can still get away with using a 243, yeah. but that's more on the... It's more on the light side. Yeah. A lot of guys swear by them, though, and yeah. I'm sure they drop deer. It's just, I like the 270 because it's an all-around gun, right? Down here, we can use it for coyotes. Yep. Um, you can drop a moose with it, no problem. Yep. You can drop deer, basically anything on this planet, you can drop a 270. Yeah. Maybe not the safari hunts. And within range, I mean, you're not going to... I wouldn't be using a 270 at 300 yards to shoot a moose. No. No, that, I, that I have would, a hard... That's risky business. I think when I'm at the range, though, I'm there every other week at least shooting before yeah. hunting season i think i'd be hard pressed not to take a 300 year shot on a giant moose yeah what if it's worth like is it worth risking the animal's I, well-being no i think you have a very good point there about knowing the ethics of it but i think the hunter should know what his abilities are it's a tough decision to come down to and hopefully everyone makes yeah. the right decision we've all been there and i myself have not made great yeah. decisions like if i'm time, if so. i'm standing without a rest probably not gonna take the shot yeah exactly now I know at the gun range, sighting in when I'm 200 yards on a bench with my bipods down, yeah. I can put three rounds in a quarter. Yeah. Like, that's nothing at 200 yards. But hunting is different, right? Because usually your adrenaline's up. Yeah, nerves are everywhere. Yeah, you're standing, you're shaking. It's different than if you were to lean up on a tree, put your gun in a V branch, and mm -hmm. you might be able to take the 300-yard shot if you're comfortable. Um, if you've never shot 300 yards, I wouldn't do it. Yeah, absolutely. I think... Yeah, I would yeah. recommend shooting at the distance you plan to take an animal with. Because uh, otherwise, you know, if you're only practicing at 100 yards, you don't know what kind of drop you're going to get. No. Or how that sabot or bullet is going to take flight. Yep. Then you should not be shooting at longer distance. Yeah, I think you should. every hunter should know what his abilities are or her, her abilities are for yep. that. So when it comes to deer hunting, what would be your ideal? 270? Probably, yeah. yeah. And I would like to venture north to do a, a deer hunt with a 270. Yep. My buddy uses a 30 6 because it's better for if you're in bush and it deflects off a little branch, there's less deflection with 30 6 because it weighs more. Mm -hmm. I do love it my 30 6, but it's definitely, it packs a good punch. And yeah, it I'm, has I'm a bit more of a lob to, than a 270. Yeah, it's, it's a big, 
heavier shot, really. Yeah. Because your light ones are 150s, where my 270 heavies are 150s. Exactly. But most people, or some people, use a 180 on a 30-06. Yeah. And that's the great. I use a 185, bullet. I think it is. Yeah. Okay. And that's basically my moose shot. So what's your round that you use for moose, like, brand-wise? That is a 185. Last year I did the Hornady... I don't remember the actual name of that pack that I got, but it there was two duds in that box. So is it like you fire them and just nothing happened? Yeah, absolutely nothing. Yeah. So I wasn't too happy, especially at $68 a box. Yep. I thought I should get yeah, definitely... It's, it's over $3 a round. You don't want right. duds. Um, so this year I got hooked up with Federal Premium Ammunition, and the ones I'm actually going to be hunting with are the Vital Shock, and they are the trophy bonded tip. So they are a silver cartridge. Um, they're fairly new. And I got the the power shocks as well, and those are a practice. They're very similar uh, from what I've been told. So when sighting in with the power shocks, I can go to these vital shocks and not notice any changes. And yeah, that, it'd be, that's it'd be interesting for you to try it out too. Like yeah, shoot and, too. Yeah, and I know you you will shoot them both to make sure. Oh, absolutely. Because like. You know, you don't want people to buy two boxes of ammunition yeah. different and one without the other. I'm not really like set on one brand specifically. I just if someone mentions something new, if they've got lots good to say about it, then I'm I'm willing to give it a try and yep. I'll continue to try more stuff. Yep. I like I used to like core locks for my two seventy. Yep. But I just found that they weren't flying as accurate as Federals out of my gun. And core locks are also a very nice bullet to get into for yeah. any entry. They're not very expensive. No, they're no. so they don't break the bank. No, I like the Federals because my gun really likes Federals, and yeah. I believe every gun likes different bullets. Even Absolutely. if you have the same gun, same model, one might like a certain bullet over the other one. Yeah, I don't so, disagree at all. No, the cool thing about your bullets that you got the Vital Shocks are they're the plastic tipped, so yeah. they even though they're a hollow point, they have the little plastic tip for flight stability. Yeah. And the boat tail, which in my eyes is really accurate in a bullet. Yeah. Um, no, I'm super excited to try these out. They are a silver casing, so they do look extremely cool. So that covers quite a bit of the gun stuff we were talking about this afternoon. Why don't we jump to archery and talk thin diameter arrow shafts versus a larger diameter? Because okay. I know you got lots of opinions on both. Yeah, so I run... My new setup for my Hoyt is uh, Eastern Axis, and those are the 5 millimeters, so it's yep. a very thin diameter. I like the thinner diameter arrows for hunting because... Technically speaking, they should be able to fly faster because you have less surface area. Yeah. When you're shooting targets, you obviously want the thicker arrows because it's easier to break lines. And so when you're yeah, that could be the difference of point. Exactly. Well, you you see those lines today when you when we were counting X's in target, and there's like it's basically touching the line. If you break that line, you count the X, right? Yeah, like you you could have been make or break between a three or a four. Yeah, exactly. So when I'm shooting 3D, I did like the thicker ones. Yeah. But I'm going to stick with the thin ones for my Easton setup. Or sorry, my Hoyt setup. So are you going to run that for when we do the 3D, 3D as absolutely. well? And yep. hunting, you're just going to stay with it? Yeah, I think it, it's going to actually help me towards hunting because being a tar- better target archer makes you a better hunter. And being yep. a better hunter also makes you a better target archer. Yeah. So sticking with the same setup, in my eyes, is going to make me a better hunter. They're really cool, though. I love them. They're actually heavier than my thicker diameter arrows, my Carbon Express Maxima Reds. They're actually a little heavier. Okay. Which is cool because I, I think the walls are just thicker on it, but that could be. Yeah, they weigh quite a lot. You use the bloodlines. Eastern bloodlines. Those yeah. are a little thicker. Yep. 
So what do you think about them? I'm more than happy with them. I haven't been able to try anything thinner out yet. Yeah. Um, maybe I'll shoot yours out at Forest City yeah. this year and see what happens. But I'm probably going to stick with the Bloodlines. Yeah. I think it'll be interesting to shoot your bow through a chronograph this year. Yeah. And see what we get for speeds. Yeah. And I actually kind of... Are, the next thing we wanted to talk about even was uh, helical and straight fletchings. So I just switched to a 1% helical, 1 degree helical. Yep. And today, those sticking in the target, I could have put a level on those shafts and they would have all been yeah. in the, like the bubble would have been in the lines. They oh, were yeah. so level. It was so straight. So this is the first time that I did helical for you. Yeah. And before you were shooting just a straight yeah. fletching. Yeah. Do you like it? Way better. Yeah. I probably won't switch back. No. I, I love helical because I think longer ranges, as long as you don't go over three degrees, that's just ridiculously much yeah but as if you have a fixed blade you really do need that stability and you need it quick so the problem with that some people have with helicals is when it spins in the air you actually do lose a little bit of speed at longer distances yeah but you gain stability because it spins faster and it's it can kind of balance faster in the air yeah so it becomes more stable but when we're talking about 20 yard shots and stuff it it actually doesn't really make a difference mm -hmm. because your arrow's not spinning fast enough at that speed and that distance to really drop it out of effect yeah. So I know my bear right now shoots 290 feet per second, and that's with the helicals. So I'm curious to put the, because my new helicals are actually, I think, just over one degree. Yeah. So I'm excited to try the I older. would try two degree. Yeah, two degree is not bad. Just to see what it is like. You and really... I don't need it as much, though, because we run expandables. Exactly. But some people who use fixed blades might want to look into helicals. I would like to feel the difference just to know yep. what it's like. And it's super easy to do. You just buy a different fletching jig. Yep. Um, for mine, I use the same jig. I just bought the different arm attachment. Yeah. So I have straight at home, but I also have helical, and I always do helical for my friends now, just because. No, I'm happy. Today was a, yeah. a great day of shooting, and, and it's been two months since I've shot any arrows. Yeah. Unfortunately, when it comes to bow hunting, as soon as bow hunting hits, you and I stop hitting the range. Yeah. Because if we can be in the range, why aren't we just hunting? Yeah. So I mean, unless it's like, you know, after dark and we have access to it. but Yeah, this year we'll be getting out to Forest City Archers. And if nobody else is too familiar with that, um, just north of London, I think out towards Thorndale. Yeah, it's right in Thorndale. And uh, they've got an outdoor 3D range. Yeah, 60 acres of 3D targets. They replace the targets uh, quite consistently, yeah. all Reinhardt targets. Yeah, they bought moose last year, elk last year. That was awesome. Shooting yeah. the life-size moose was pretty wicked. Oh, that's so cool. They do one tournament there a year, yep. and that's a really fun thing. Um, I think it was like twenty dollars to enter it for the tournament. It's, that's not bad at no, all. No, it's not bad, and the membership alone isn't even that bad. No, one hundred and twenty bucks for the year to get the key, yep. and you get to go shoot at any point. Yep. So that that's pretty wicked. Yeah, they have the butts there to shoot from twenty to I think it was sixty. 60? Yep. Yeah. Twenty to sixty, and then they have three D range, which is a course that you walk through the forest. It's a nice afternoon yep. hike as well. They also have a clubhouse that you can hang out, barbecue. They have a barbecue there full of propane, so if you bring your own food, you can grill it. We always like to do some sausage while we're there and cook it up. They also have this cool target with a hole in it that they put a balloon in. So for the traditional shooters that shoot recurve and trad bows, yeah. they'll shoot the balloon out of the target. Right on. So it's kind of cool to see. But yeah, check them out if you've never been there. Four City Archers. Super cheap, super awesome. Um, everyone's friendly there. Yeah, I haven't met anyone. That's got on my nerves yet. <laughs> yet. <laughs> so today was Cam's first time shooting a back tension release while we were shooting five spot. And uh, how'd you like that? It was a surprise. Yeah. It's a true back tension, right? Because you have your wrist rockets, wrist releases, which I think is the most used 
hunting release. Yep. I think most hunters use them. You have your back tension release, which a lot of people confuse with a hinge release, which is a little different. Yeah. And there's also your normal thumb release. Um, so I have a silver back, yeah. which you got to use, which is you keep your thumb on the safety, draw back, anchor, aim. When you're ready, you take your thumb off and you use your back muscles to draw through it. So it relies on the tension. Yeah. It's really a surprise shot because you have no idea when it's going off. You just no. keep pulling through, putting tension on your back and it fires. And that's a good way to or a good thing to keep in your mind you're you're pulling back you're pulling back and yeah. boom it's ready yeah. so once you're at that spot you know you're almost ready to take that shot let your thumb off and i actually made a good shot with it it's surprising it is it's totally like it, it was engineered to get rid of when people have target panic and you know their pins on the site and they're like oh my bow's gonna go off my bow's gonna go off one's gonna go off they're off target oh i got it back on yeah and it kind of helps you get rid of that target panic because the truth is you don't know exactly when it's going to go off definitely be interested in using it for target shooting yeah i would that is it that is not a hunter release in my eyes i I could not feel comfortable hunting with that absolutely not um however my knock to it which is just a thumb handheld release yeah i hunt with and i love it i am a fan of that one i did a couple rounds with that today and I like it. It's very sensitive. Yeah, it's a crisp trigger. As soon as you exactly when it breaks, it breaks. Yeah. But then there, you know, last year when I shot tournaments, I was using my hinge release. Yeah. And that was a Scott backspin, and that one relies on the actual pivot of the head on that release to fire. Yeah. You did not like that one. Not at all. I don't even think I got that one back to full draw, no, and the arrow went flying. Exactly. Because so. yeah, you had your hand on the last fingers yeah so when you were drawing i think you made like three quarters of the draw and that thing just fired oh yeah that's not i'm not a fan yeah it's different but you use a wrist rocket yeah i have got the scott this year and i have the little goose um so the biggest thing i found with scott is that you pay a little bit more probably over i think 120 bucks what i paid for my little goose yep but the sensitivity is adjustable for a wrist release that is perfect because not all of them you can adjust and if you can't you shouldn't have to pull really too much with your finger you still want that fluid motion of using those back muscles to pull back and your finger should just be wrapped around it that you shouldn't actually be clicking it like as if it's a button it should be a full pull drawback and it goes yeah so with Scott, you can get, um, and I believe mine is the, yeah, it's the single caliper. So you can also get the hyper jaw, and that's when both devices at the end of the release will open, yeah, like as it sounds, a jaw. Yep. Um, so the singer, single caliper is just one, and I don't know if there's smoother. I found it was smoother myself. Yep. I don't know about other My, people. So Mackenzie um, had a big problem with, and I'm sure other people will too, about his D-loop frame. Right. His D-loop would fray a lot and very, very often. On the single caliper? No, on a dual. Okay. So when we went to the bow shop, the guys there were like, well, you know, one of the biggest things you can do is get a single caliper. Yeah. And so apparently a single caliper doesn't fray your D-loop as much. I haven't noticed any deterioration on my D-loop, and I've put quite a few rounds through the new bow already. Yep. Scott, also, um, you can get the dual caliper that is similar to the Hyperjaw. Um, they have a your backspin. Um, yeah, my Scott is a backspin. Okay. Uh, so Scott makes that as well. They also have a back tension from what I'm looking at here. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, though, that. even companies will confuse back tension and hinge. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, There's two different. They're two different. They're both different. You can't. If I keep my hinge locked and I pull through with my back, it doesn't matter how hard I'm pulling. It's not firing. Yeah. 
whereas and with the hint with the actual back tension i can manipulate my hand and it won't fire it's about the actual tension on that jaw yeah i like them i think it's cool to play around with different releases because it kind of keeps you on your toes especially between the knock to it and the silverback because they're the exact same frame yeah so drawing on them is very similar and it's kind of cool to play with when you're targeting so that covers a lot of things that we spoke about today um we did have a comment from the vixen underscore huntress uh crystal you had asked um what do we look for in deer properties when scouting and looking for new properties so myself uh, i like to look for a property that's got different kinds of nutrients whether it be the farm itself has got two different types or three different types of crop on it even if it's just corn and the field beside is running beans um, that to me is variety for the deer especially um, turkey as well because i find turkey are always in the bean fields and definitely if you can find a property with a crick running through it water's huge yeah i think water sources are extremely important for deer populations yeah you know sometimes you can't get the properties with water on it and so yeah, you don't always get it all you're typically going to have more of a travel corridor hunting place yeah. which is fine but for bedding and stuff usually they'll bed close to water not yeah. beside it but relatively close so they can get drinks in the morning yeah on one of my properties specifically or a property i hunt at i should say um there's a set of pines that kind of runs beside the creek so not too close to the water like you said but they are in some thick bush near water yeah so if anyone's just getting into hunting they don't even have a property yet so from scratch what i would do is before hunting season usually two months before a month before at the most um go and scout go and try to find where deer are you know go before sunset or first thing in the morning find kind of where they are and see if you can get the permission for that yeah so then you know that there's deer in there last year sorry two years ago I had this property that I got, and I had never been able to actually get out and scout it. I'd seen it, but I'd never seen deer there. But, I mean, it was there was a creek there. There was beans in front of it. There was corn behind me. There was a bush there, and I just kind of had a good feeling about it. Yep. Anyways, got the permission there. Walking in it, the first thing I saw is a bunch of tracks, and that's always a good sign because tracks mean that the deer are there. Yeah, whether they're staying there or, like you said, a through property, they, they're coming through there. Exactly. So I think when I'm looking for my stand location or for the blind location, wherever I'm going to be sitting, first thing I want to look for is signage. So I look for scrapes and rubs. Yeah. If you have those on your property, you're you're in good shape. Yeah. I like, me personally, I like hunting field corners because I find that deer stick close to the corner. In case someone comes out in the open field, they usually tend to dip to the bush for protection. So I like to sit right on the edge, and I was sitting on the edge of corn bean and bush and yeah i mean i had five pointers come out four pointers come out i had a five and a six fight right in front of me that's pretty cool i mean i passed on them but it was still cool to see yeah um, i took my eight pointer from that stand um i think height's another good thing that's important to do because this is one that's overlooked so myself yeah. me and you actually had this discussion argument if you will yeah um about how high you hang your stands yeah so this really isn't an option if you're using a ladder stand because usually exactly. they're, they're set to either 15 or 20 but on a hang-on stand you can keep adding either sticks or the pegs i usually go for when the tree has some cover you know if you're foliage starting at 30 feet why are you going to be 20 feet yeah. you're just going to stick out so i like to go up into the foliage and enough where i can actually shoot i'm not just covered in leaves and stuff but Something where if I'm from afar, it blends into the tree. Um, that last property was 30 feet to my tree stand, which is a little higher than I usually hunted. Yeah. But it was awesome. Yours, your ladder sits right around 15. Yeah, it's 15. And personally, it's too low. Uh, if you're hunting with a gun out of that stand, which is usually the only time that I'm hunting out of there, 
um, and for simplicity, this one was already set up, so we just kind of yeah. moved it to a different spot rather than hanging one of the hang-ons. It's nice for gun, but I don't like it for bow. It's no. too low. There's too much movement with your bow, right? You got to – sometimes people want to get up. They can't. They're not comfortable shooting sitting down. Yep, which and you should practice if you're going to Absolutely. It, it does make a big difference. So when I'm – in archery season, it's definitely a hang-on, and I want to do 20 to 25 feet. Yep, that's pretty good. I think that's like a good average. I had know a friend that one year, I was like, hey, how high do you hang your tree stands? And he said 45 feet. I think that's a little... That's excessive. Yeah. That's, that's like shooting distance. That's ridiculous. You better be practicing out of that as well to make sure that your shots are okay at that kind of angle yeah because i mean it won't make too much of a difference when you're further out because it's more of a straighter shot yeah but when you're shooting you know seven yards below you but yeah that's a tough shot you're 45 feet in the air that's kind of crazy i don't even know if that's ethical at one point <sighs> if you practice it why not yeah um i mean they make sights for them they make the pendulum sights which mm -hmm. actually swing when your bow goes down which are kind of cool but i don't know that's a little too high for my comfort um i like right around the 25 30 foot um to the base of my stand yeah and I think that's pretty good. Um, obviously, as always, I use my harness when I'm that high. Yeah, absolutely. Use, use your harness, harness if you're any, any yeah anything over I think five feet. Put a harness on. There's way too many incidents every year about people not using harnesses, falling out of the tree, breaking equipment, and my bow is pretty expensive. You just <laughs> bought a super expensive bow. I don't want to drop that and break it. I don't want to drop and break myself. Yeah, that's true. Um, I'm more worried about my bow. I think the thing is when more so the older generation that uses the homemade stands. Yeah. And those are actually the ones that have the most accidents. Mm -hmm. Most tree stands now come with harnesses and they come with safety equipment, so use them. And if, even if you don't have the, it's not in your budget to buy the new uh, HSS harness, just use the one it comes with, with yeah. your tree stand. Exactly. It's it's not the, it's nice having the higher end stuff, but yeah. I mean, if you don't, it's not in your funds and you don't have to do it. What else do you look for in a new property? Um, or your property now, I guess. Where Why did you choose to hang your tree stand there? Um, well, the Crick one runs right through the two fields. Um, so one was being alfalfa actually, and the other one was corn and it kind of separates two bushes. So there's a bit of hardwoods right to my right and to my left is a set of pines. So I've got them bedding in pines, walking through the hardwoods, checking out my mineral licks. Uh, now I got that protein block out there. And they're passing water every time they walk to and from wherever, crossing fields. It's it's like a highway there. It's got everything they need. Well, we went today and there was, you can it tell deer were there today. Oh, yeah, it was morning, so busy. So fresh in the snow. There were older tracks that are probably less than a week. Yeah. So it's it's cool to see all the movement. So what made you pick that one specific tree versus the one beside it? Probably the way that the stand hung on that tree. Yeah. Obviously, I want to be safe. It yep. was a thicker tree. and It's straight. It was straight, tree. yeah, and it did actually have um, – it was kind of up on the hill a little bit more, so had I have gone down the hill another five feet, I think this actually gave me – got me up a little bit higher using the ladder stand, yep. so that helped a little bit, and my shooting lanes just worked out everywhere in that tree. Yeah, I like your property. I think it's a cool view in there. It's kind of like a cool little streamlined bush, right? Like yeah. your bush runs in a very straight parallel line yeah. where it's not just like a blob or yeah. a block. And that's kind of kind of different. Yeah, like it runs almost with the creek everywhere. Yeah. Like it, there's all bush. So the way I sit, I sit in the bush uh, 20 yards in front of me is the is water. Yeah. And then another 
10 yards after that you're into corn so 30 40 50 i have clear view and shot of corn but i'm in the bush so they can be walking through it feeling safe not ready to go out into the field yet but that field and that food is there that makes sense so final topic what made you pick this new property that we're gonna hunt this year it was just permission I had asked for quite some time ago. And again, it's got all the essentials. It's a, a big bush and water's there. So yeah. that's, you've that's seen important. Deer there. I've seen deer, many deer. There. <laughs> uh, what's the biggest deer you've seen on that property so far? When I went scouting with a buddy of mine, we're certain we seen a 12 point jump up from laying down. He thought he had seen him laying down, just kind of bedding, checking us out. We made a little bit too much noise and he hopped up and you could feel like the thud as he was jumping and bolting away and we were like that is got to be the biggest deer <laughs> i've ever seen monster yeah it was huge that's awesome so hopefully he's still out there maybe yeah so hopefully by next podcast i have my new bow and i can do a little review on the rx1 yeah that'd be nice um, we'll just have to get out to antler and shoot that again yep and then i'd like to hear a little bit about a full review of your rain yeah. Talk about that. And I think that's going to conclude our episode number four. Yeah. I've got some venison nachos to go make. So I'm going to go <laughs> ahead and do that. And thanks everyone for tuning in. Don't forget to check out the Instagram, Marcello Bondi and Cam LD 19. We'll see you guys next week. Awesome. Thanks everyone.